What is up, everybody, and welcome to the Joe Kilgallen Podcast, aka Kilgallen's Pub. I'm your host, Joe Kilgallen, stand-up comedian extraordinaire, podcaster, and um, hopefully soon to be author. That's right. I wrote a children's book, everyone, and I got to doing probably another draft of it. It's basically done. I might have to add another page or two. I guess Amazon is a thing where it has to be X amount of pages, which is annoying because you know, I've read children's books that are this amount of pages, but for Amazon to print it, it's everyone told me just add two more pages. It's a pain in the dick. Anyhow, welcome to the podcast. If you're a first time listener, I'm a stand-up comedian based out of the city of Chicago, travel all around, all around the country, soon to be world. And uh, I like to just rant for about 25, 30 minutes about what's going on in the world. You know, I try to make it funny. I try to get real with you. All that kind of good shit. You know what I'm saying? I like to always start off with a little bit of gratitude though. So special shout out to all the Patreon subscribers. Just dropped a Patreon bonus episode yesterday, so I hope you're enjoying that one. And also a big shout-out to everyone who's been watching the YouTube channel. Uh, the numbers are going back up a little bit. It's pretty good. Uh, and that also good news is my special that I filmed in New York City, Brooklyn in particular, in October at the gutter, uh, is done. Special's done. I watched it yesterday. It looks and sounds great. It is, yeah, it's, it's done. So now... I got to find a date in which we're going to release it. There's still a slight chance. I, I don't know exactly. I, I'm 90% sure I'm just going to put it on YouTube. I don't want to go through the hassle. I've got some people who are like, no, do with the writer strike that's going on right now in Hollywood. It'd be a good time to try to sell some content. But like as someone who supports the writer strike and also SAG after the union I'm in is talking about going on, on strike as well. I don't know if I could even sell the damn thing. Some people said it's a good time, though, because technically it's not written. It's performance, what a stamp comedy special is, I guess. And uh, so then, you know, hey, they're looking for content, right? These platforms need content. That's now your chance to snake snake yourself in. But I don't want to be looked at as someone who crosses the picket line. I don't want other, other writers to be like, what the fuck do you do? I can always lie to them. No, they don't listen to this podcast, even, even though a lot of my friends are in the Writers Guild of America. I know they don't listen. Piece of shit. By the way, nobody listens to each other's podcasts. I have friends who have podcasts. Don't listen to them at all. My friends don't listen to mine. That's just how it goes. When you, because it's, it's like, I don't know why we don't. I know we don't. If you're a friend of mine listening and you're like, who, who's a comedian I'm talking about? I think I have regular friends who listen to this. I think they could, they could fucking prove it to me by being like, Hey, I heard that episode where you said people don't listen. I listen. I know people listen. I'm talking about my friends. Anyhow, who gives a shit? But uh, yeah, I'll have to figure that out. But I think I'm just going to still go the YouTube route. It's just easier. Because here's the thing. Like, you know, I'll talk to some people. All right, let's set some meetings. We'll, we'll, then I have to send them the special. And then, um, then, then I have to wait for them to watch it. Wait for them to get back to me. And then, I don't know. Unless the money's insanely good, which I don't know if it is. And I'm not always driven by money. Although I should be more. So maybe perhaps in the future. I don't know though, but it's done. And that's exciting for me because if you subscribe to the Patreon, I'll send you an advanced look. I'm going to, I'm going to work that out. I don't know what I'm going to put it on though. Cause I have a feeling if I put it on YouTube and just make it private, it'll fuck up when I make it public. Like YouTube won't acknowledge that as a new video. They'll be like, Oh, it's been sitting there for two months and then I won't get the views. It should, but we're going to talk about some fun shit today on the podcast. Um, here's something stupid to me. Why HBO announced that today they're no longer, it's no longer HBO Max. That's not the app anymore. It's just Max. And I'm thinking, fucking why? Like, why though? I don't understand. Like, HBO is a brand name that's associated with like great television. We're talking Game of Thrones, 
We're talking Boardwalk Empire. We're talking Curb Your Enthusiasm, some, some drama and comedy, The Sopranos, The Wire. I mean, there's some major, major shows, some of the most popular revolutionary television of the last 25 years. And now you're going to kind of shy away from that brand. Doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Whereas Max, when I hear Max, I think Cinemax. I don't know for sure. I didn't do the homework to see if, if are these related. Cinemax, I always thought, oh, they might get like a bad sequel. You know, like you want to watch uh, Major League, the movie Major League, but instead you're getting Major League 2, right? You'd always get the weird sequels on there. Sequels where you're like, oh, oh, The Matrix is not. Oh, it's the sequel. Well, those are good, actually. But like they never got like the premiere movies when they first came out. But what Cinemax was great for, and people would call it Skinemax, was the uh, softcore porn they would have on starting at like nine o'clock at night. It was never even that late. And you'd get um, no penetration, but the women would be completely nude, no ball or penis, great, and um, and a lot of grinding. You know what I mean? I remember one time you could tell the dude was wearing like a sock because when they rotated over, uh, you saw like a beige pouch over the guy's crotch. And you're like, yeah, they take this softcore very serious. But the women usually work their bodies very well in the softcore porn, right? Um, a lot of close-ups on the breasts, uh, always a landing strip, rarely completely shaved. And they love the thigh highs. Thigh high stockings was a big thing. Because with softcore, if you're not going to show the actual, you know, dun, 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 you know what I'm saying? Uh, for those of you listening to the audio, I did the finger into the hole which is the suggestion for like, Ooh, we're going to have some fun tonight, you know? And, um, but you know, without that, they got to really, they got to really, you know, they got to tease you a little bit, some arousing. I feel like every one of those, there was always an ice cube going over someone's nips. A lot of that, um, a lot of dry humping too. You know, the woman would be like grinding her butt into the guy's lap. And then, um, and then the hair pull, I don't like hair pulling. Some people are into that and that's fine. But, it just makes me think you're not thinking about long-term neck damage. Like when you pull a woman's hair in, in a kinky way, fun in the moment, but think about down the line, right? She's going to be driving her car. She turns her head right to look for oncoming traffic. And she's gonna be like, ah, my fucking neck. What is this from? Holy shit. It's like, oh yeah, it's from that hair pulling thing you were doing. Because when you pull the hair in the moment, you're like, oh, and that was too much. That sound I made there. I apologize to everyone watching and listening, but it, it gives you a little, a little mini whiplash. If you do that enough, that adds up. So it's long-term damage. Short-term pleasure, long-term damage. So you need to think about these things when you incorporate them in your bedroom routine, okay? In your lovemaking. But yeah, Cinemax was all softcore porn. That's all anyone associated with. So for HBO to be like, we're no longer HBO Max. We're just Max. I don't get it. It's going to, I don't think it's going to help sales, right? Are you going to, hey, do you subscribe to HBO Max? No, no, no. But did you hear? Hear what? No, no, no. What is it? What did? What happened? It's no longer HBO Max. It's not. It's just Max. Oh, does are you going to subscribe to it now? No, I'm not a fucking simpleton. Like, what? If I was going to subscribe to it before, why would the name change do anything for me? Why would HBO? Are they no longer affiliated with it? That's what I need to know. And then that's going to lose them even more because HBO usually gets the hot movies right away. They had that deal with Warner Brothers where they're releasing shit pretty early on. Um, I just don't understand the, the setup to all of it. It makes li very little sense to me. These streaming services are shooting themselves in the foot left and right. There's just a lot of things they're doing where it's making people 
almost be like, you know, maybe the Blu-ray was better. You know, maybe it was. Maybe we have too many choices now. Um, the streaming services were great for a while. And you, you still love them. You're accustomed to them and everything like that. But there are times where, I mean, everyone's guilty of this, where I'll be flipping through Netflix for like 12 minutes, 15 minutes. And I'm like, this is just, I can't find anything that I could commit to. In my profession, stamp comedy, that's why comedy got so big on YouTube, we feel like, because on Netflix, Netflix even did numbers. So like people are really turning it off after about 20, 25 minutes. You know, Andrew Schultz famously said that if you're a comedian fan, you know, he was preaching that for a while. And then, so he was just like, all right, well, the stamp comedy special is too long. Let's make them shorter. But then he went back to making them longer. So whatever, I guess at the end of the day, if you carve out your own audience, they want as much of you as possible. So who cares how long it is, I suppose, unless it sucks, then people are like, Man, not only was this not, you know, not only did it, did it suck, but it was long. That's two things you don't want to be part of. And then um, Seinfeld actually talking about length said something good. I saw him on Howard Stern, a clip of him where they talked about the TV show Seinfeld ran for nine seasons. And they're like, I heard they were going to offer you like five million an episode or 10 million an episode for one more season. And he kind of was like, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, why didn't you do it? And he's like, well, never been about the money for me. And also when comedy, you never want to overstay your welcome audiences you know they'll love you they love you and then if you go 10 minutes too long it's kind of like eh, leave a bad impression and then people just kind of walk out not feeling the same he applied that same logic to his television show he's like we were still good that ninth season people still really liked it the number the ratings were number one now's the time to go because if we did a 10th season and the 10th season was just eh then all of a sudden people start to look back on the whole thing where it's like yeah that show really lasted too long and you don't want that and I go, dude, you're right. The guy's absolutely right when it comes to stuff like that. But with the Netflix comedy specials, uh, Bert Kreischer talked about this. He put what he, what he was closing on. When he would do his hour uh, touring the country, an hour-long set, the closer there, what he'd end his sets with for his Netflix special, he brought that up to the 25-minute mark, thinking if I could hit them with this big-ass joke here, they'll stay to watch the whole thing. You know, at the end of the day, I don't know if you, I mean, you want them to watch the whole thing. I know with my special that I did, we just filmed, I, the ending is very important to me. So I hope people stick through the whole thing. I almost want to put, maybe I'll add like a disclaimer, like saying, please watch to the end. There, there's, there's a, something cool in it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to do that though. That seems a little lame, but the special is called good grief. And um, I do feel like I cheat the audience a little bit, though, because it makes it seem like it's going to be a lot about grief. It's really just the last seven or eight minutes that are about grief. Um, the first 40 minutes or so are about um, just how confrontational a person I could be at times. I think that was where that special was originally heading towards. Just me talking about all the different ways I get into crazy confrontations. I didn't really have a name for it then. I think I was just going to call it originally like Live from Brooklyn or something like that, just because sometimes people put too much into a name. Yeah, is it good is what matters. We're just talking about TV shows. Seinfeld, is Seinfeld a good name for a show? Not really. Not if you've never heard of it before. That doesn't make you a Seinfeld. Oh, I got to watch that, right? No, but it's a great show. So therefore, it, the name worked. I think the thing is with anything, you just don't want it to overexplain yourself. I think that's the problem with a lot of podcasts. All these silly, goofy-ass names. And you're like, what is that? And then you have to overexplain it. Like the podcast I'm working on, besides the Joe Kilgallen podcast is called let's get dumb. And people have asked, Oh, what is that? I'm like, Oh, we just ask dumb questions. Talk about dumb stories. And they go, Oh, cool. I mean, that's simple enough to explain, but I've seen other ones where I'm just like, what the fuck? First podcast I ever did was comedian Megan Gailey. It was called naked sports live. Are you naked? 
what is that? Is it about sex? Well, why is it called Naked Sports Lab? I'm like, because we were stupid back then. We came up with the name at the end of 2011. The podcast started in 2012. And we were like, well, Naked's a top search word. And we have sports in there to combine them. We'll be like Naked Sports Live, where comedians strip down the world of sports. It's so fucking dumb, so lame. And then when I did a sports podcast again, like four or five years later, or three or four years later, I just called it Comedians Talking Sports. Made it real easy. And then Sam Morrell had a show on some New York-based network, the Yes Network, which I think the Yankees are broadcast on, where he just called it Talking Sports or People Talking Sports or something. I remember being like, hmm. It rips off my name a little bit, but I don't think he knew that. I don't think it was intentional. But yeah, the, the trouble of explaining stuff, people hate. It's the same reason people who are from a suburb will say they're from the major city that the suburb is next to. And I think there's two reasons for that. Because when you travel, you want to sound cooler. What's cooler? Do you say you're from Chicago, Illinois, or to say you're from St. Charles, Illinois? It's cooler to say you're from Chicago. Then those same suburbanites will be like, Chicago's so dangerous. Oh my God, I can't, I can't believe it. I don't even want to go there anymore. It's like, fucking don't then. Don't. All right. You're going to claim us when you travel. When you're, you're going to claim us at Disney World. When you're at fucking Epcot looking like a dickhead, waddling around with your dumb family, then you're you're fucking Mr. Chicago. But then when you're back near home, then you're bitching about every little goddamn thing. A gangbanger cuts a fart and you're like, this is terrible. I can't bring my children anywhere. <sighs> fucking lames, man. So yeah, that's that. Um, what else is going on in the world right now? I've been, I'm sorry if my energy level is a little shit right now. I've just been a little bit exhausted. You know what the motherfucker of it is? Is when you look at the time and you do the math sometimes. You ever have this right when you're going to bed? You're like, shit, if I fall asleep this instant, I can maybe crack six and a half hours of sleep. But nobody falls asleep that instant. And through the last three days or so, I've woken up before my alarm wakes me up. That is torturous, right? You you kind of go, oh, eyes open. You're like, I don't remember hearing my alarm. What time is it? And then you look. And today, my alarm was set for 6.10 in the morning. I looked at it today. It was 6.03. I'm like, oh, cool. I get seven more minutes. This is, if you wake up before your alarm, you want to wake up where you have like an hour and a half. Because then you're like, ooh, that's going to be juicy. That's going to be a nice little one right there. I'm probably going to have a crazy ass dream, aren't I? That's going to be fun. That's what you're into right there. I like that. People are hating on LeBron James again. Um, I normally do as well. Not really. Look, LeBron James, let's be real here. He has been a model citizen. Hasn't gotten in trouble for anything, really. I think the biggest uh, blemish on him has been um, when the whole China thing, you know, because he was all about supporting human rights, but then he hasn't said anything about how the NBA and with China and human humanitarian laws over there and stuff like this. Right. So people were kind of like eh, a little bit of a hypocrite, but people really do hate that guy. And I don't know. It's because Jordan was just so loved that anyone knew that felt threatening to our Jordan's legacy was just like, now nah, we got to tear this guy down immediately. I thought that, but I really don't remember anyone having true hatred for him until the Miami thing. When he was like, I'm taking my talents to South Beach. And LeBron went and played for the Miami Heat and had that big, remember the big episode was called The Decision, where everyone's like, where's he going to sign? Where's he going to sign? And he decided to go to Miami with Wade and Bosh, forming a super team. And that's what people, modern NBA fans, you guys got to fucking open your goddamn eyes. All right. I know some of you are too young. You don't understand exactly what pissed everyone off about the whole NBA super team thing that really did start with LeBron, Wade, and Bosh. Some of you are going to be like, oh, Joe, that's bullshit. 
Celtics, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, completely different. They, the Boston Celtics traded for those guys. All right. The difference with the super team with LeBron, Wade, and Bosch is they got together over fucking brunch. Those three dudes had brunch on a Sunday and decided to fuck over the NBA. And I really believe that's what it was. They fucked over the league. LeBron had been runner up a couple times with Cleveland. They even won more games and they just, you know, he didn't show up when it mattered most. That was the early knock on him too. I, I had that one crazy series against Detroit that led them to the finals. And he was like 22, 23. And he looked unreal. I remember that series. He scored like 23 points in a row. And I thought, damn, this kid is really going to be special. He, he might be, maybe he will be the greatest player of all time. Um, and then in that series, he didn't do shit. And everyone's like, well, he was 22. I'm like, that's fair. But he played well below his season averages. That's what I look for in a player. When you average a certain amount of points per game in the regular season in the playoffs, you either have to match that or to be truly great, to be truly iconic, you need to go above that. If you're below it, and he was well below it, he averaged like almost 30 points a game in the regular season in 2007. In the finals, he averaged 20, maybe less, maybe 19. And his field goal percentage was way down and everything else was way down. And you could say, well, that he was the only player that all focused on him and contained him. I, I guess, maybe, that they find a way. And he wasn't their only player. And these teams were built around his style. He loved that. He helped choose it. He was the GM, basically. He's the GM, basically, now, these last handful of years. He's, he picks the guys he wants. You know, he makes some mistakes. Like, he should have known Russell Westbrook was never going to play well alongside him. Because, like... LeBron, Russell Westbrook needs the ball to go through him for him to be an effective offensive player. LeBron was always at his best when he was like playing the point and had nothing but shooters around him to kick out to. And he needed some bigger guys to rebound. And the secondary option was always big for him too. He had it with Wade. He had it with Kyrie. Anthony Davis was the first like powerful center he played with. Although Ogowskis was a rookie in his early days in Cleveland. And Davis really was outplaying him that whole bubble year and then LeBron, the last three games of the finals, put up better numbers to get the finals MVP. It's almost like LeBron was like, shit, I got to turn this on or else I'm not going to get finals MVP. And I need it. I need it. And I feel, I do feel sad for him though, because he's constantly legacy chasing and he knows it. He might tell himself, no, I'm just trying to be the best version of myself and I'm proud of what I've accomplished. But he's thinking he, it's in the back of his head. He talked about that one show, chasing the ghost who played in Chicago. You know, it's, it's unfortunate, and that's like the one thing that's really a bummer. But um, I think with the fan base, fan bases, both the Jordan fan base and the LeBron fan base going at each other, it does suck because you do wonder, will people not appreciate LeBron as much because of that? Or, or you know, 20 years from now, are people going to be like, oh, you know what? He was a great player. I should have just sat back and enjoyed watching him play instead of constantly looking for flaws in his game. Because that's really what a lot of it is. It, it is a constant looking for flaws in his game, and they're there. They're a parent. Um, but then this LeBron generation went back at Jordan just making stuff up all the time. Nothing without Pippen. And I'm like, Pippen was not good his first few years. This idea that like Pippen came in and saved the day. I feel like we're talking about grooming. Jordan groomed Pippen. There's stories about how Jordan made him stay after practice to go one-on-one -on -one with him. And so when people talk about Pippen being one of the best defensive players, ever, I'm like, yeah, he had to get good because he was playing Jordan one-on-one -on -one in practice constantly. You're going to get good when you have a sociopath screaming at you to be better every day. And you just look at the moments. There's big moments where LeBron fans will be like, no, that passing the ball was the right basketball play. No, it's not always. And I realize there are certain people who, they, they, the way they grow up, 
this isn't a knock. I don't even know if it's a negative thing, but like two types of people. I think growing up, you're kind of like, yeah, you're wide open, but I'm fucking me. You know, I'm taking this goddamn shot because even me at a slight disadvantage is our best shot chance at winning. Or I think LeBron, because he came up in a different era, a little bit more. Um, I think he was humble. I think he had a great mom. Uh, I know his dad wasn't around. What a dipshit he was, by the way. How stupid does LeBron James' father feel, right? My God, like you walk out on an 18-month-old baby who had a size 7 shoe doing windmill dunks on a play school rim. You got to stick around, right? That's an easy paycheck coming. The amount of deadbeat dads who have famous sons, you th- you'd think it'd be a deterrent. You'd think they'd think to themselves like, shit. I'd love to walk out on you forever because this just is stressful on me here. But man, what if you become very rich, right? Can can you hit a baseball? What are your skills? What, what what do I need to know right now? It's tough to tell that early though. Sometimes kids don't get those skills until they hit puberty, and then you feel like a real like a real piece of shit, right? Can't come back around 16th birthday after you read about the kid being all conference on the paper. Can't have that. But yeah, there are times where the best basketball played. I'm using quotes right now. It's on paper. We we all know in real life there are things on paper that look great, but in real life would never be able to you'd never be able to apply them. You know, full on communism sounds good on paper because it's like an equality thing for everyone. Would never work in real life. Same with libertarianism would never work in real life. This idea that oh you don't need taxes, everyone will just chip in to put on a, a street light. Bullshit. Okay, next time you're at a grocery store, look at all the carts that weren't returned properly, and tell me if you think a libertarian society would work. It just wouldn't. So like the far end on both sides just don't work. They might look good on paper. And the same thing with when I saw LeBron James kick it out to Kyle Korver when he had half a step on his guy. It was like, dude, you finish that play. You don't kick it out to the other player. So he's a guy that I feel like sadly has always maybe could have been the greatest basketball player of all time. Um but just too much uh crafting of his image. That's why he never did a dunk contest. That's why a lot of times, if you notice, when he does go for the game-winning shot, for the most part, his it's a tie game. So I give him credit for going for it yesterday, um, and he just his shot got blocked and he missed it. Uh, but look, he's playing amazing basketball at the age of 38. He is my, I'm 38, and yesterday I had to bend under a, a four-foot like rope thing, and you know go under it like you know one of those like rope things that are cut off like when you're in line for something. I bent like at the airport. I went to bend under it and my back has still been hurting. And this was three days ago. So it's incredible athlete. I also don't spend a million dollars a year on my body. Like he does. That's one another thing I hate about comparing eras in sports. The current era knows what they're chasing. They know what they're chasing and they get to do things to go further into the game. So it's like, all right, I'm chasing this many points. I'm going to, what did he do wrong? Or he was smoking cigars before games. Well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to you know, make sure I'm doing the, all that. I'm going to hire a nutritionist. I'm going to hire a personal chef. I'm Because they know what they're chasing. To me, if a new era player in any sport is to overtake an older era player that someone considers to be an all-timer, like one of the greatest ever, you can't just match their statistics and match their accomplishments. You got to go beyond it. You got to go past it. If you just match it, you're not even, you're not an equal. You're less than still because you knew what you were chasing. You know you're chasing X amount of MVPs, X amount of championships, X amount of these numbers, and, and blah, 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 blah. So you can't match it. You got to go past it because you have all the advantages of today's game. You have all the advantages medically, all the stuff with like 
Do you ever see the fucking shoes they used to play in back in the day? My God, they might as well be running around barefoot. Like they're playing in like wrestling shoes. There's no, there was no support on their ankles. So you know all the stuff that you're going after. And it does kill me when people say like, oh, LeBron's playing in a way more athletic NBA. The NBA, why is it a more athletic NBA? Well, because human beings became more athletic. Listen, human evolution doesn't really work that fast. And and Jordan was Jordan played against a lot of guys who still played up until just a few years ago. Some of LeBron's teammates over his career played with Jordan. So it wasn't like it was some we're not talking about the gap between Shohei Otani and Babe Ruth. Okay. We're not talking about a 90-year gap. We're talking about a single generation of talent. And then some of it has overlapped. Because again, Jordan played against Dirk Nowitzki. Jordan played against Sean Marion, Kobe, uh, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce. So many players who played in both eras. Tim Duncan. So it's an endless type. Of, it's just a weird debate. But to it almost criminalizes Jordan. When you talk about how great today's NBA is, it's like, why is it so great? Ooh, let me think. Did all the children uh, of the 90s who are now NBA stars, the 90s and 2000s, who, who did they grow up watching? Oh, yeah, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was so great, he inspired the next generation of NBA players to be even better than previous generations because they all wanted to be like him. He was their hero, their icon. So it's like he gets in trouble for that. It's, it's like, I'm, I can't hold that against him. It's like part of the thing. It's like you made this sport so popular. That's why athletes are flocking to him more and more. Michael Jordan really was that big a deal that he shifted it. I talked to a comedian, Godfrey. Really funny comedian. Look up his stuff. This was, he probably won't even remember this conversation, but he grew up in Chicago. I grew up in Chicago. We we're talking about random stuff. And he grew up in the 80s. And he said that all of him and his friends, I bring this up because he's a black man, they played baseball, football and baseball. And it really wasn't until Jordan's insane popularity by like 1987, 88, did more people start to go towards basketball, where basketball kind of overtook baseball and became football, basketball as the two most popular sports. And uh, and a lot of that's Jordan, right? And it was probably easier playing basketball too. Think about that. You you could find a rim and three people and have a fun game. You play twenty one, a little two on two action at four people. Baseball, come on. And you get, hey, let's gather eighteen friends for a pickup game. No, it's all, it was all league based. So that's another reason I think basketball just got more popular. It just was easier to do. You could shoot around before school in the morning. It's an easy game. It's a fun game. That's why soccer and basketball, those two sports have become the most popular team sports worldwide. And it's simply just because of how easy they are. Just grab a ball. Basketball, it's our hands. Soccer, it's our feet. We've got a hoop in the sky. You know, right there, we're just... Sometimes I see people playing soccer where they just put two garbage cans equal distance apart and then just use that as the goal if they can't find a goal, you know, in some areas. All right, everybody, that's enough ranting about sports and shit. Uh, so if you learned anything from, from this podcast... Who's ever in charge of PR at HBO should be fired and never have a job in that world again, changing it from HBO Max to just Max. And that it used to be HBO Go, which was fine. And then I also hope you learn that um, LeBron James is not the greatest basketball player of all time. He is great, and uh, people really should enjoy his greatness a little bit more. Um, he's not worthy of hating. Although the flopping, oh, that flopping always pissed me off. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And I, I got more news coming up soon about the special. And check out my other podcast, Let's Get Done with comedian Jonah Jerkins. All right, cheers.